Hi, this is Sandy Rios, and this is day two of Sandy Rios 24-7. This is our second ever in the whole wide world podcast, uh, and we are enjoying it. And today it's going to be another another great show about uh, the two-year anniversary of January 6th. Uh, Julie Kelly will be our guest. Julie is just central to this whole story. She's one, been one of the write, finest journalist writers uh, tracking and exposing the malfeasance that's taken place uh, to these men and women who are now incarcerated. So she'll join us in a second. And also uh, one of the J6 uh, incarcerated persons. We're going to tell her story uh, and we'll join her in just a second. But right now I want to tell you that we are very, very pleased to have Preborn as a sponsor of the show. Preborn uh, is in the business of saving babies' lives. And, of course, that's close to my heart because I've been working uh, in the pro-life movement in various ways and voicing the Susan B. Anthony list and uh, just the voice of so many things, plus an activist in my hometown of Chicago for years, trying to save the lives of babies. Who wouldn't want to save little unborn babies? Evidently, a lot of people don't, but I do. And Preborn has a vision for that. In fact, they're a Christian organization, and their vision is actually uh, not only to tell girls there's an alternative and that life, the life in their womb is worth saving, but also to tell them about the creator of that life, Jesus. Uh, so they do an effective job of that. In fact, they've seen over 65,000 commitments to Christ in the course of their work. So, And over 200,000 babies have been saved. And they do that by providing ultrasounds uh, for, the, for the moms. The way this works is the ultrasounds are so uh, sophisticated now that you can actually see a really detailed view of your baby that you've never met before. It's pretty amazing. And when uh, girls see this, even though they have unwanted pregnancies, they suddenly find themselves wanting that baby. Uh, it's not a manipulation. It's just uh, the reality of what you see. It changes your heart. And so that's what they're doing. And if you'd like to help them buy some of those ultrasounds, because that's what they're asking for is help to do that. Just $28 will buy one ultrasound. And as you know, um, $140 will uh, buy five ultrasounds. If you can do the math, you can figure that out. If you want to help rescue those babies, all you have to do is uh, go to, you just go to your phone, pick it up, dial pound 250, pound 250, and say the keyword baby. Dial pound 250 and just say the keyword baby. Or you can go the old-fashioned way to preborn.com. That's preborn.com and tell them that Sandy sent you. Okay, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. Here we go. Day two of Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness that we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice, not social justice, but God's justice, what's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association, a pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. The civil and human rights of the January 6th protesters being violated. The Democrats want to destroy President Trump and those January 6th defendants, they're a pawn in their political game. This is the biggest crackdown on freedom of speech in the history of our constitutional republic. Those involved must be held accountable. 
and there is no higher priority for us at the Department of Justice. We're in the D.C. DOC Correctional Facility, psychologically damaging, torturous, and inhumane here. It's been over 17 months since my kids have seen their dad. If they put me in prison, it'll probably kill me. Matt's civil rights were violated and his mental health was deteriorating. You've got the might of the federal government against the individual. The only way it stops is if tens of millions of Americans stand up and refuse to be intimidated. Wow, that's the sound of the trailer for this great documentary produced by Newsmax called Shame of a Nation. Shame of a Nation. And what the topic is, if you didn't pick it up from that trailer, is all of those persons that are incarcerated in the D.C. jail or in the Northern Neck prison, uh, brutally treated by guards, uh, not enough food, nutrition, uh, no, no sanitation, no communication with loved ones, on pretrial detention. They haven't even gone to trial, many of them. They're just being held. Uh, and so it's unconstitutional, and no one seems to care. The left certainly doesn't care. The January 6th committee would like nothing better than for them to rot in jail. Uh, and it, evidently, Republican leaders feel the same way. Um, no one's been any worse about it than Mitch McConnell, who dismisses, washes his hands of uh, any concern about them. He feels like the Capitol was violated. They try to shut down democracy as though it's his house. Uh, without any knowledge or understanding of what's actually happened to them. He was offended, and so he's not doing any kind of defense, as are not any of the other Republican leadership. And that's, that's to me, more tragic, really, than the left, who already hates American patriots, uh, doing what they're doing. Uh, so we're talking about this because it's nearly it's two years since that happened. And many of you were there on January the 6th. Many of my listeners were, or they have family members who are still incarcerated. Uh, and my, um, as I say, and I will repeat, my husband Bruce and I were almost there. If, not, he, if he hadn't had an accident, we would have been there. Uh, so uh, we are in uh, spirit and full uh, throttle support of those good men and people who went there to do what was right, and that was to stop, which was constitutional, through a constitutional process, uh, the electoral count, uh, electoral college votes from being presented on that day. There was a provision in the Constitution. There was nothing illegal about that. On this second day of our coverage on January the 6th, the second year anniversary, we talked uh, in the first podcast about the prisoners. We talked to Jonathan Mellis, who's in the D.C. jail. Uh, but today we want to talk to someone who's really been central to the story because she's taken the time, the tedious time, to watch the trials, to write article after article, to even pin a book called uh, January 6th, How Democrats Used the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror Against the Political Right. Uh, Julie Kelly has become, uh, for those of us that are watching this, a household name. Uh, she's a senior contributor to American Greatness, and uh, she's, uh, she's joining us today. Hi, Julie. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Sandy. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, you know what, uh, because um, there's so much to talk about. Two years have gone by, and you've covered. <laughs> Is there anything you haven't covered that you say to yourself, I'm going to get that to some at some point? Um, no. I mean, it just seems like day after day there's more content, more controversy, more crises to cover, especially related to this uh, war on terror against the political right. So, uh, yes, I'm never uh, never at a loss for uh, for things to report on. 
Okay, what I'd like to do, because you talk about this so much, and I'm sure that this two-year anniversary is keeping your, you very busy by informing people, and thank goodness. Uh, I believe the American people are being becoming uh, kind of waking up to this. Would you agree with that? Do you think that it's kind of getting down into the DNA of the American people, the injustice that's happening to these guys? I really do. I think that they're waking up to the injustice. I think they're waking up to the realization that perhaps what they thought they saw on January 6th was not actually the truth. People are uh, seeing that the January 6th Select Committee was a complete witch hunt, another witch hunt against Donald Trump that didn't really give any details about what happened on January 6th, the alleged security failures, the lack of preparation, which we know now is not true, uh, withholding video evidence, both surveillance video and body cam footage from police, no reports on uh, police misconduct, excessive and, of course, lethal force in one case, never found the pipe bombers, Sandy, which is in one, I think, amusing move by the FBI today. They posted another tweet asking for information about the pipe bomber and upping its reward to a half million dollars. Here we are two years later. Well, you know what, Julie, let let me jump in. Let me jump in because, you know, you and I, you have have tremendous knowledge of of this. I have moderate knowledge of it, but we need to explain. Uh, There was someone who planted a pipe bomb as allegedly at the RNC, that's the Republican National Committee headquarters, and the DNC, the Democratic National uh, headquarters on January the 6th. There are video, nighttime video, that we can see of this person or suspect, uh, but no one has ever solved the mystery. Julie, what? Okay, so if you were to say what you suspect that was all about, what would you suspect that was all about? I think it was another hoax. I think it was another part of uh, the hysteria that uh, unfolded that day. The pipe bomber allegedly planted the devices the night before on January 5th outside, as you said, the DNC and RNC headquarters. Um, Also, um, what's interesting, we found out almost a year later, and, uh, and to back up a little bit, the discovery of the pipe bombs prompted the first evacuations from nearby adjacent house buildings. And the discovery of the devices just happened to be a few minutes before the joint session of Congress convened that Mm -hmm. afternoon. Mm -hmm. So the timing is really suspicious as well. But why it's so um, interesting that the pipe bomber hasn't been identified or charged, Sandy, is because we later found out that Kamala Harris was at the DNC headquarters when this device was found. So here we had a sitting U.S. senator, incoming vice president, who, if, as what we were told by the FBI, these devices were viable and potentially deadly, whoever planted that could have killed the incoming vice president of the United States. So there's no urgency now. Here we are two years later. There's no update on an investigation. The FBI has completely buried the story. The January 6th committee never even addresses it. It's in some appendix to the report. Um, So as the American people start to see how this is really unraveling and that this was just a way to really get Donald Trump out of office, try to fatally end the MAGA movement, which it, it really it did not do, you know, exactly what did the FBI do? 
what were the other federal assets? Who was Ray Epps and all these other uncharged provocateurs that we see on video? So I think here now, two years later, um, the, the script is flipping a little bit. Yeah. You know, you're the one person, I think, that, that followed that, uh, the follow-up on that so-called assassination attempt against Governor Whitmer. That's been in the news a lot lately. And the connection between that, we think, and what happened on the Capitol on J6. So let me just spell this out. I'll say this, that uh, the pipe bond, pipe bonds, or the pipe bomber, we think, I think, uh, was another attempt to make it look as though uh, the patriots who went to the Capitol on J6 were uh, worse than they were, that they were trying actually to cause an insurrection. I think that's part of the narrative, apart from the practical thing of uh, interrupting, you know, the counting of the electoral votes. But that's uh, that's what we are thinking, I'm thinking. Uh, but on the Governor Whitmer kidnapping, there is a link. Uh, I know it's complicated, Julie, but you're very good at synopsizing things. So how what how do those two things relate? Well, as I call it, the Whitmer fednapping hoax, um, you had the announce of arrests right before the 20, 2020 election day, as millions of Americans were voting, arrests in this case accusing right-wing white supremacist militias loyal to Donald Trump of attempting to kidnap and maybe kill Gretchen Whitmer. So uh, these were shocking headlines. To um, you know, Gretchen Whitmer and Joe Biden were on the campaign trail the last few weeks, talking about how horrible this is, and Donald Trump is inciting these domestic terrorists, et cetera, et cetera. Well, as the case unfolds, and even some news reporting, um, it turns out there are more FBI informants involved in the alleged plot than there were defendants. That doesn't even include the FBI handling agents and investigators and supervising agents who were working with these informants and undercover agents, by the way, <laughs> to put this little hoax together. Um, and so the tie-in, there were a few. One is that there was a protest in April of 2020 at the Lansing Capitol that has a lot of similarities to what we saw on January 6th. I refer to it as a dry run. You had these alleged militiamen with weapons, and there were photographers inside the Capitol, and the Michigan State Police stood down so these people could enter the building, and you had some of them calling out for Gretchen Whitmer, a lot of the same antics we saw on January 6th. The biggest tie-in, Sandy, is that the man who was in charge of the Michigan FBI field office, a man named Stephen D'Antuano, uh, after the arrests were announced in October of 2020, was promoted by Christopher Ray to where? To head up the Washington, D.C. field office, the most powerful field office in the country that then was responsible not just for the events of January 6th, the investigation into the pipe bomber, the entire investigation into um, now almost 1,000 January 6th criminal defendants. Um, so it looks so he really is the biggest tie in between the Whitmer hoax and in January 6th. He conveniently retired at the end of November and just got a job at KPMG. Uh, but I still think it looks like House Republicans want to sit down and talk with him about both the Whitmer fednapping and January 6th. Well, another commonality, Julie, seems to me. We um, In yesterday's podcast, we interviewed Jonathan Mellis from the D.C. jail, and we talked about a lot about the current treatment and the past treatment of this past two years, horrible treatment 
of the prisoners just held in pretrial detention, not even charged yet or not not to tr in trial yet. But in the uh, federal case against the guys who allegedly plotted this kidnapping against Whitmer, they got, they've been getting incredibly harsh sentences, like the J6ers are being uh, prosecuted almost 100% on things that not even related to anything they did. So it seems the treatment of them is the same, too. Would you agree? Um, I Pretty much, but I mean, the, the treatment is worse because these men were 100% set up by the FBI. Um, I, you definitely had, this was an inside job, the January 6th protest, an inside job for the most part. But you also did have, you know, protesters who behaved badly and, and assaulted police, even though police were assaulting January 6th protesters. Um, but these are men who really did not commit any crime. How can you be convicted of conspiring to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer when the plot never even came close to fruition, when it was completely fabricated and engineered by FBI informants, at least a dozen? working with uh, these handling agents, as I said, in multiple FBI field offices. Keep in mind, as you know, Sandy, during the first trial in April, all four men were acquitted by a That's Michigan right. jury. After their defense attorneys put forward this detailed, excruciating, really jaw-dropping uh, case of FBI entrapment, the government did not get a single conviction. This never happens. It was total humiliation for the Department of Justice. Um, two men, excuse me, two men were outright acquitted. The other two men had a hung jury. The government came back immediately, said, we're going to retry these two men, Adam Fox and Barry Croft. They faced another trial in August. The judge was extremely active from the bench in helping the prosecution. Uh, and disabling the defense attorneys. And unfortunately, that jury returned uh, guilty verdicts for both of those men. Uh, but the attorneys are already appealing and will appeal, and I think they have an extremely strong appeal uh, for a number of reasons. So that case is not over yet either. But yes, the judge, after these convictions, sentenced Barry Croft to 19 and a half years in prison and sentenced Adam Fox to 16 years in prison for a plot that never happened, never oh, could have happened, that's, and for which Gretchen Whitmer herself knew about months in advance. That's just, uh, it's, it's shameful, and I'm waiting for the, for the Newsmax special on that one. Uh, let's, let's go back to J6. You know, Ray Epps, again, that's a name familiar to you and I. He is uh, seen in, uh, initially, there may be people listening that are not that familiar, so I just want to say that lots of video was released immediately, uh, making it look as though it was edited video, clips here and there. It looked as though there was indeed, you know, violence perpetrated by Trump supporters, and that was the goal. Uh, but as the time unfolded, we found that there were, you know, uh, I think 15, some, uh, hours and hours, like multiple thousands of hours of uh, camera footage that was never released. And as it began to be released, we began to see that the stories that the people who are incarcerated are telling are actually true, and some of that stuff is being used in trial to uh, to to help them with their their defense. Ray Epps is seen in some of these. He's a big guy, uh, and he's seen encouraging in several shots in several at least two different places. Uh, I mean locations, not just places in the crowd, but downtown, and then later at the Capitol, 
telling people to go inside the Capitol. Go inside the Capitol. And then he's there when the fence is broken down. He's there whispering to the guy who actually breaks it down. So that's that's my quick perfunctory telling of who Ray Epps is. But there's more information on him right now, right, Julie? There is. Um, finally, the January 6th Select Committee released his transcript. It's very strange. Um, and what's really fascinating is to see Adam Kinzinger, former Representative Adam Kinzinger, which sounds good to say, really leading him, making excuses for him, sounding far more like his defense attorney than an interviewer or investigator trying to find out why he was there, why he was inciting the crowd, and why he's not charged. I mean, you have many people several people who did not go inside the building who were engaged in far less insightful, uh, provocative conduct than Ray Epps, who nonetheless faced criminal charges, just doesn't make any uh, sense as to why he's not charged and why the committee and the media have come, have come to his rescue so many times. He gave another interview to the January 6th committee. We have not seen that interview um, so my sense is you will have House Republicans say Representative Tom Massey, who actually confronted uh, Merrick Garland about this last year, really try to find out more about Ray Epps and people like him, people who were on the grounds, people who were in the building, uh, who have not been identified, who have not been charged. We know there were FBI informants now, Sandy. We know from the trials. We know there were informants embedded in the Oath Keepers months before January 6th. We know there were at least eight informants involved embedded in the Proud Boys months before January 6th. Um, When you had Representative Clay Higgins directly ask Christopher Wray a few months ago, did you have informants disguised as Trump supporters inside the Capitol before the building was breached on January 6th? Twice, Christopher Wray would not answer the question. Why not? We know there were informants. We know there were undercover uh, D.C. police uh, officers. We know there were Secret Service and Park Police. This place was crawling with cops. So how and why did this happen? It is imperative that House Republicans really find out and expose the truth of January 6th because it is the biggest scandal the biggest uh, operation against the American people and a sitting president that has ever happened in the history of this country. Yes, I agree with you, Julie. I've been living here a long time, <laughs> so I agree with you. It's 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 jaw dropping and it's dangerous. And I one last thing because I know we only have a few more minutes. Uh, the FBI was now we know thanks to Elon Musk coordinating with Twitter and the social media companies uh, to censor. Uh, information about J6. I'll I'll be quiet and let you tell the story. Explain that as best you can. January 6th then was the predicate, was the excuse for social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, etc., to finally deplatform Donald Trump. Even though the the tweets that they cited as rationale were completely innocuous, didn't say anything insightful, but this was used as the reason not just to deplatform him, of course, but other major accounts, uh, Michael Flynn um, and other people who, you know, were spoke at the rally or seen as Trump allies, um, who also, and I believe 70,000 total Twitter accounts were, uh, were banned after January 6th for various excuses. They were posting QAnon content. 
you know, they were involved in stop the steal hashtags, really absurd excuses. But this was their justification for doing it, which, of course, is another angle as to why the events of January 6th went down. Yes. And of course, now we know or we have reason to believe that the FBI was coordinating with other social media companies, too, and also coercing them. Now we're learning uh, as though they needed to be coerced. Right. Uh, but that's what they're telling us. Is there any last thing uh, that we've not covered, Julie? Uh, just in this synopsis, here we are at the two-year anniversary of that terrible day. Uh, any last thing that you would like to share? The only thing I would ask people to do is to call their congressmen and their Republican senators and urge them to launch a separate investigation into January 6th, answer the unanswered questions, release the 14,000 hours of surveillance video and body cam footage, get all the records from the FBI, from the U.S. Capitol Police, from Nancy Pelosi's office, from Mitch McConnell's office, from D.C. Metro Police. Let's see exactly what that correspondence looked like leading up to January 6th. And so it is only fair to the to the now a thousand Americans ensnared in this reckless, retaliatory prosecution. It's only fair to them to get the truth, and that's the only way we'll be able to. Okay, Julie, and um, I know that you're, listen, you're a one-man army when it comes to revealing the truth about this, and I want to remind you that you can find Julie's thing is things at American Greatness. Also, she co-hosts with a good friend of mine, Liz Scheld, uh, the Happy Hour podcast, uh, and I can imagine that's probably dynamite because Liz is a laugh a minute, but she's brilliant, and I <laughs> love her. And you're not so you're not so bad yourself, Julie, so uh, let me just uh, commend that to you, Happy Hour podcast. And uh, Julie, it's great to talk to you, and I hope that we can touch base Again soon, because I want to cover this on an ongoing basis now with this uh, brand new podcast, Sandy Rios 24-7. So thanks for joining me, Julie. Have a great day. You too, Sandy. Thanks so much. We are talking next to, there was a mom, a grandmother. Uh, In fact, she's the grandmother of uh, several kids. She's uh, 69 years old. She's got three kids, two adult grandchildren. Uh, She has breast cancer, and she's currently undergoing chemotherapy, and in spite of her condition, she was placed uh, in jail for 60 days. And I want her to tell her story. She's coming to us from someplace out west. Uh, and her name is Pam Hempville, and she joins us today. Pamela, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's our pleasure. And before you join me, I told them a little bit about you, Pamela. I told them that your age and your three children, your two adult grandchildren, and that you are currently undergoing chemotherapy for breast cancer. How's that going? Uh, right now, um, I stopped the chemo, but I still have to take chemo medication. But so far, it looks uh, like it's it's at bay. Well, thank goodness for that. And so, tell, I don't even know. It would be good, you know. Most of the guys that are incarcerated, most of the guys, most of the people incarcerated are men. Uh, but you are one of the few female. There were some. And I, we would really like to know your story, Pamela. How was it that you were there on January the 6th, and what happened? Well, what you know, I was scheduled for some more cancer treatments, and my brother called and said, uh, what, would you like to go for Christmas uh, and see Trump? It may be the last event he'll have for a while. And I thought, oh, that would be wonderful. In Boise, Idaho, what I do here, I'm a citizen journalist, and I was uh, videotaping all the political events. And so it was just really what I wanted to do was go there and just videotape everything and maybe sightsee. 
And, and that was it. That was my only real purpose for going, just to videotape. Uh, when William Dunphy started pushing the officers in the gates, uh, the c- officers pulled me behind them, and they told me to go to the captain, and I went to the captain, and then he told me to go to the steps, and I couldn't make it. Well, I made it just to the steps when everybody pushed me down, stepped on me, uh, cut my knee, broke my glasses, pulled out my shoulder, stepped on my head. I was a mess. Uh, then the officers pulled me up and put me behind them again. So hopefully one day I can thank these Capitol Police officers. They saved my life that day. And then I sat there for about a half hour and just kept videotaping. It was a really rough day because, uh, well, prior to that, I ran into the Proud Boys and I walked with them for 45 minutes to an hour and interviewed quite a few of them. It was a really nice day in the morning. Everybody was just walking around. It was so patriotic. It was just it was just so beautiful, so overwhelming for me, though, because I'm from Boise and the events here are little. <laughs> felt like I was in the middle of New York. You know, Pamela, I, I'm sure you've probably seen this, but um, I've seen, of course, a lot of the footage now. And for those of you that are uh, new to this subject matter, there are hours and hours and hours, thousands of hours of what happened that day that are different and uh, not edited like the ones that you've seen that show uh, that they're trying to make the, the claim that there were insurrectionists in the Capitol on that day or that everyone was an insurrectionist. There were people like Pamela who were there. Uh, and I remember Ashley Babbitt is in one of those shots, and she's just smiling and walking along. She's so happy. And, yes. of course, in less than an hour, she would be killed by a Capitol policeman shot. Uh, but but I'm just trying to paint, help you paint the picture uh, because that's what I saw happening, too, from those videos. I think maybe you took some of those videos. <laughs> Well, see, I was—I call it the violent side. I wasn't on that side. I was on the other side of the Capitol. I didn't even know. I heard something was going on on the other side. I thought it's just probably like our side. We're just actually patriots, and we're screaming and yelling, and it just took everybody off guard because it wasn't something you were even thinking could happen that day. Yeah, right. Yes, it was an innocent. You know, I've been to so many Trump events myself, Pam, uh, and, and in D.C., uh, and there's just such a wonderful, like the November event, we were there, um, and it was. There's a wonderful atmosphere, like a celebration, a feeling of patriotism and love of country and excitement. And yeah. so, I'm sure, I'm confident that's exactly how you felt <clears throat> on that day. All right, you'd had just had your surgery then for your breast cancer. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And my brother, got- my sister-in-law, would never have sent me there. You know, because that same thing. We've watched the Trump events, and they're they're wonderful. They're beautiful. They're patriotic, and it's a great time to get with others and talk. And that's all I thought I was going to was something like that. And I believe ninety nine point five percent thought the same thing. I think and so as I'm too. And walking to the to the Capitol, everybody's walking towards Trump, and he's already done talking. So, you know, I don't think a lot of people even knew it was. I kept asking, "Is there is Trump going to be at the Capitol?" One news uh, gentleman said, I don't know, maybe. Another guy says, I have no idea. And then one person said, yes, he's going to be up there. So I thought, well, I better get there first because I want to videotape. That's all. Plus, I was live on Facebook. So people in Boise, Idaho could see what was going on because a lot of people couldn't afford to go out there. So I was kind of like their voice and their, uh, their camera form that day. 
So you you're taking photos and you you get the Capitol Police then put you behind them for some protection. What again then? What's the charge against you? What did they charge you with? Yeah. And how did they they they, they yeah. find you by phone or how did they track you down? And how did they come did they come to your house? Tell us that part of the story. Yeah, actually uh I was charged for picketing and parading inside the Capitol. But what had happened after I've been st- you know your head when you've been stepped on you're you're not oriented. You're you're not thinking. You know because the brain gets shook up. And I wanted to get medical help. They wouldn't. Nobody helped. The officers wouldn't. That one lady. She didn't want to help me. She said, "You just go sit down there." Anyway, I got up and I walked. I started seeing people come out of the Capitol. And I thought, "Oh, this is wonderful. They're letting people in." And so I saw an officer, two of them by the door, and I thought, I'll go ask them, though. I'm not going to go in because what if people are just going in on their own? I want to get legal per- permission and have it on video. Well, I got shoved in. I was too close to the door, and they pushed me in. And so even on my video, I say, oh, my God, I don't want to go this far. I got shoved in. So I sat down immediately. So my video proves there's no picketing, there's no parading. Um and, you know, they were saying that you were bipartisan that day. Well, I think so. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the charges, I, I just had to go ahead and p- do a plea bargain because it was looking at three and a half years for four charges. Um, can't remember exactly what all of them were. They were ridiculous. Uh, but I had video, too, proving you could see the officer pulling me behind them. You could. I'm talking to officers, and I'm trying to help them. A guy has taken a book out of the window, and I'm telling him to put it back in. There was a broken window. I mean, you could see all my behavior was trying to help people. I didn't break any laws. But see, you know, remember, they're just using us as pawns to show the, the the nation what they will do to you for being there that day. Well, they want to prove that you are domestic. They want to prove that we're domestic terrorists too, because that's their new category. You know. Uh, you know this. You probably called that. So okay. So I interrupted. I interrupted you. Can what were you going to say? When I came home. Of course, I was very worried because I kept hearing the stories and I was panicking. So my brother says, "Get a lawyer and find out from him and let him look at your videos. And if he thinks that you need to go to the FBI, then let's do that because we want to. You know, I want to make sure I'm doing everything legally and by law." That's not going to be no person they're looking for. You know what I mean? It's, yep. In my mind, anyway, I didn't break a lot any of people. Did, a lot of so people responded what? the way you did, Pam. A lot of people, you know, turned themselves in or because they were because they're law-abiding citizens and they wanted to make sure yeah. that people knew. And and they, they invited the FBI in their homes because they thought they trusted the FBI and they thought that they just explained the FBI would understand, but it worked against them. But anyway, continue your story. Yeah, August third, I think it was. I was arrested. They came to my door, seven uh, FBI agents. But I got to tell you, nobody's heard this story. Probably um, they came in here and I said, look, it, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I, I've been worried about this day, but I'm going to sit down and I'm going to breathe for a minute because I've never been to jail in my life. Pamela, let, let me say something else about you. You are a retired substance abuse counselor. You recovered from alcoholism. You've been recovered for 42 years. You have no criminal record, and you've been serving uh, the Boise community as a citizen journalist for the last several years, as you've just described. So that's 
how people know about you. So let me tell people right now that you... Oh, yeah. They can follow you on Twitter at at Pam Hempfill 79 at Pam H-E-M-P-H-I-L-L-79, and she has a Give, Send, Go page because you did end up going 45 days to prison, correct? Uh, oh, I went, that's another story, too, about my prison. I need to tell you about that. Yes, yeah, 60 days. Uh, they could have put me in a group home. They could have given me home detention because, you know, I'm 69. I'm clean and sober. I, I've never owned a gun in my life. Isn't that, they did a background check, like, I mean, like, you know, real thorough. There's nothing in my background. But um, So you were sent prison, to prison. Uh, rather than putting you in a facility, they sent you to prison. The way they assigned me is the number two on the list of the worst prison in the United States. And they were sent me to the camp. Now, the camp, the women there are very short-time people. And they get to even take you to the airport. I mean, it's, it's, you're almost free, except for you can't leave, of course, without. Well, when I got there, she says, I'm sorry, there's no paperwork about you going to a camp. I'm sorry, you're going to this unit. And I said, oh, please call my attorney or something. I, I wasn't assigned to no unit. They put me in a unit with 95% cartel, the worst unit there. Wow. And then the lady that's William, I mean, uh, Michelle West, and I hope people never forget that name because she needs our help. She's a lifer. And she told me they have, they have a plan. They're going to put drugs in my room or in my cut, uh, water so never leave my water alone and think so I can get four to seven more years prison. And when I'm leaving that prison, I told the captain, um, he, well, first he said to me, I'm surprised you're getting out of here. And I looked at him, I said, why? I don't break rules. And then he just shook his head, and I said, oh, so the rumor was true. You guys were planning on keeping me here. He, said, he just put his head up in the air like, mm-hmm. So they, that's well, what they were planning on doing, make Pam, sure I where, never got out. Where? What prison were you placed in? Oh, Dublin Prison in California. And, in fact, the warden just went to court and got sentenced seven years uh prison for molesting and uh, raping the women there, and it was it's well known for drugs. Oh, wow. Oh, and then they took away my certification for alcohol and drug counselor, and their rules are if you have a misdemeanor, because I only have a misdemeanor. I don't know why I got two months prison for a misdemeanor. In fact, that's what Michelle says. Nobody ever, and I've been here 28 years, has ever been here for a misdemeanor. She didn't believe me at first until she found out that I was a J6er. Because now that explains it. Well, Pam, that's quite a story. And uh, you're actually known uh, by the prisoners there. You're known, known as MAGA Granny. MAGA Granny. Why do they call you that? Actually, it was a radio show host here in Boise that got that started. He said, do you mind if I call you? I know you're old, and so could I call you MAGA Granny? I said, yeah, I forget I'm, I'm old, but that's fine. <laughs> well, let me just say that uh, <laughs> I went to your... I went to your um, Twitter feed, and it's at Pam Hemphill 79 And on that Twitter feed, you had the most beautiful, beautiful, it was a 13 or 14 minutes called The Ceremony in Honor of the Politically Persecuted uh, on this second year that they've been in prison. And I want to commend that to all of you. Uh, it, it's worth the 13 minutes. It will it will bring you, uh, it's just beautifully done, Pam, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you uh, that you posted that, and I was able to see that. And I want to also say that 
Uh, you, of course, could use some financial help uh, given your cancer, given the, the theft of your, your bank, the robbing of your bank account by whoever, uh, whoever knows about that. But uh, she has an account, Pam Hemphill on Give, Send, Go, if you would like to help her. Do you have any final comments before I say goodbye to you? No, I just want everybody to know that we are putting a new face on January the 6th, and it's called The Truth. And more and more is coming out. And just hold on. Don't lose your faith in God. Um, God didn't give us this country. And I don't think, you know, they're not going to take it away. Just hold on and be honest and tell the truth and don't be afraid. I'm on probation. I do take a risk. But, you know, I, I'm I'm standing with my First Amendment. And, and you just encourage everybody to please uh, contact your representatives and let them know how you're, what you're thinking about what's going on in this country. Pam, you're, you're such an uh, encouragement. Most people at your point in life are, you know, retired and uh, they don't want to do anything serious or be obligated to anything. And this is pretty amazing, uh, your story and your, your steadfastness. So God bless you for all of that. Again, it's Pam Hempfield 79 at Pam Hempfield 79 on Twitter. And go to Gifts and Go and, and help her if you can. And also, you'll want to see that ceremony in honor of the politically persecuted. It's just excellent. Pam Hemphill, thank you for your time, and hopefully we can talk again soon. Thank you. Okay, thank you. God bless you. All right, well, that was, uh, that was interesting. Uh, Bruce, I want to bring you on. Bruce, my husband, Bruce, is going to join me. Uh, we're getting our sea legs on doing a podcast because it's a lot different than doing a broadcast, which is what I'm most familiar with doing. Uh, but my husband, if those of you who are new listeners, is a former uh, retired, a former, <laughs> he still is, he's a, a Federal Bureau of Investigation special agent, was, and has spent a lot of time uh, uh, around the country, you know, doing uh, bank robberies and gangs and uh, doing, he's an attorney with the FBI, he did uh, terrorism and hostage negotiation and polygraph, and his, his resume is, is pretty incredible. So it's wonderful to have his perspective. So uh, we've just uh, heard Pam Hemphill and, uh, and Julie Kelly, and I'm just wondering what you think about that, Bruce. Well, what strikes me with Pam is <laughs> the, just the injustice of what was done to her. I mean, a 69-year-old woman who's at the Capitol taking video at, and gets beaten up and tries to help uh, people there and then gets charged with a misdemeanor and goes to jail in a terrible place for 60 days. Yeah. Well, she's just had breast cancer surgery yeah. and on chemo. and ah. Yeah. And she's still encouraging people to fight, yeah, and she's yeah. willing to do this radio interview, well, or this uh, podcast interview. That's exactly it. Is think about most people would say, you know what? I don't want to talk to you people. I don't want to relive this. I don't want to go on radio and talk about this. I just want to be left alone. And instead, she takes the exact opposite tact and wants to still try to help people, wants to educate us, and wants to be involved. Yes, I know. It's pretty amazing. So that was, uh, and I really, I meant what I said about that video. That's really very, very moving. And so I do recommend that people uh, listen to that or watch that. Now, Julie Kelly, uh, the, she gave us a lot of information, a lot of really fine information. She is such a great journalist. And she's, she's what she amazes me, she takes in all this information, Bruce, and yet she can synthesize it and make it understandable in articles and also uh, in presentations on radio and television. Pretty amazing. 
Yeah. And you think of, of what an anathema that is to the media who loves to just uh, do groupthink and believe uh, the narrative that uh, benefits the, uh, the left. And here you have a woman who is digging and digging because you can believe anything she tries to do to get at the truth in this situation, she is roadblocked by yes. whether it be the DOJ, the FBI, whomever. And don't think that her peers aren't like, you know, Julie, you better, you better quit. You're, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to, you're going to fall out of favor with people. They're going to stop publishing you. She's a patriot. Yeah, she is too. Isn't it funny? Everybody we have interviewed this last few days has been a real patriot and uh, it's just an honor to talk to them. So, uh, all right, well, sweetheart, it's great to have your perspective. And we'll be joining, we, Joyce, Bruce is going to be joining me a lot as we uh, unfold podcasts to come. In fact, as a matter of fact, we're going to be uh, traveling to Goochland, Virginia. Goochland is that county near Virginia, near Richmond, that actually kind of rebelled and decided to organize and take back their county. They, I'm talking about conservatives who were concerned about the out-of-control spending and all of it. Uh, and they ran people for school board. They ran people for county commissioner, and they did a full sweep. And when we first came, met them, Bruce, remember we went there. They asked me to speak many, many years ago, actually. Uh, they had just been instrumental in uh, doing this surprise upset with Eric Cantor, who was a future star for the Republican uh, establishment. Uh, and he was defeated by this stealth candidate that Goodland was working on, named Congressman, named Dave Bratt, who was an economics professor and ended up winning the seat. And that's how we met uh, Goochland. And so we're going to go back. We'll be there, and we'll be talking to them about their story, and you won't want to miss that. And then we're going to go on to uh, Liberty University, and we'll be on campus there actually talking to former Congressman Dave Bratt, who's now the dean of their school of business, and then the dean of the law school, Morris Tan, who is a, a Korean-born, fascinating story, a resume that's incredible, an incredible story of his personal faith in Christ, and I'll be talking to him. You're going to love that, too. And then then we will be uh, in the District of Columbia, home sweet home, and <laughs> not so sweet anymore, uh, but we'll be uh, talking to people there, key people there, so I think that you will enjoy. That's just an idea of some of the things that are coming up. Anything else that you want to add to that? No, other than uh, just to add, we love the Goochlanders. Yes, we do. <laughs> Can't wait to see them. <laughs> yeah. And it'll be great to go back home for a while. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Preborn, of course, is uh, a preborn pregnancy clinics are places where girls can go who are have unwanted pregnancies, and in the process they get ultrasounds, and they're able to see their babies. They don't know they're going for that purpose. They go for counseling. But when they see their babies, uh, almost 80% of them then do choose life. One ultrasound is just $28, or you can sponsor five ultrasounds for $140, helping to rescue five babies. Since Preborn has been in, uh, in action, they have actually, because they are a Christian organization, they've seen over 65,000 women uh, commit their lives to Christ because of the ministry of Preborn, just their change of heart about abortion, their baby, and all of it. And they've saved over 200,000 babies. So if you would like to help them, uh, you can donate securely by dialing pound 250 on your phone, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby, B-A-B-Y. Dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. Or you can go to preborn.com if you're old school like me. Go to preborn.com and that's preborn.com and tell them 
that Sandy sent you. Tell them that Sandy sent you, and that's a preborn pregnancy clinics. I want to tell you a couple of other practical things before we say goodbye. We do have a phone line where you can call and comment on the show, ask us a question, and we will select some of those calls, and I'll respond to them on uh, another podcast, and I think it's going to be fun. It's you got a pencil. It's 662-821-2040, 662-821-2040 to uh, send an email. That's sandy at AFR.net. Uh, and we are in all podcast platforms in addition to AFR.net. That's our home page. That's our home place, AFR.net. And we're really grateful for the partnership of, the Amer- of American Family Radio on this podcast. You can also go to sandyrios.com. That's where we'll have everything posted. That's one of the places. And information about where we're going to be and what we're going to be doing. We're also going to be we're on Twitter, Facebook, Getter, and all the other social media platforms there. Did I get it all in? I hope I did. But uh, meanwhile, it's, it's just so delightful to be launching this new project. And we're very grateful to each and every one of you who have joined us for this podcast number two. Thank you. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk to you soon on the next one.